So I'm going to continue with this theme of marriage. Just want to review the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, I shared about husbands, and I used the passage of Scripture from Colossians chapter 3, where it says, Husbands, love your wives, and do not be angry towards them. Do not be embittered towards them. And I spoke how about, about the tendency that husbands have towards maybe being angry too many times. And there is this command, do not be angry towards your wives. Then last week we dealt with a little bit of uh, conflict, how to deal with conflict. And very quickly, the uh, bliss of the wedding can very quickly... Uh, melt the sugar coating of uh, the wedding bliss into married life, and we are dealt with conflict. And so I spoke a little bit about how to disagree agreeably or to fight fair, and I dealt with three points. Make companionship a priority. You need to talk together. You need to show affection to one another, expressing kindness, praying with one another, go on date nights, assume the best of one another, and forgive always. The other point I made is that it is a covenant, it's not a contract. A covenant means giving 100%. 100% from one and 100% from the other equals 200%. You can't go wrong with 200%. It's not a 50-50. It's, this is not a contract. I'll go 50% and hopefully you'll go 50%. And if you don't go 50%, then I'm not entitled to do my 50%. That's nonsense. It's just not marriage. It is not a contract. It is a covenant. I am going to seek the other person's highest good regardless. And then we finished off by talking about some uh, obvious differences. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, male and female, he, God, created them. We are different. You know, I think some authors have taken that and emphasize that entitled books, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We come from different planets. We are not the same, and there are obvious differences physiologically, physically. We are different, and we respond in different ways. So this morning I want to continue with that theme of uh, conflict and how to deal with conflict. In every relationship, no matter how good the relationship is, you are going to have conflict. Sorry to bring the bad news, but you're going to have conflict. And I think the Bible, and I'm going to have a verse now, James chapter 4 and verse 1, conflict is caused primarily by selfishness. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, the Good News translation says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Aren't they caused by selfish de desires that fight to control you? By selfish desires that fight to control you? Basically, I'm a selfish person. Hmm. I think of me before I think of anybody else. I want what I want. I know my wife wants what she wants. And so there's automatically competing desires that collide and they result in conflict. I've done many, many years of premarital counseling. 
And in premarital counseling, I talk about five different aspects. Money, sex, in-laws. Oh, in-laws. Children and communication. Uh, we, in our marriage, have hit all five out of the park. It can bring major pain. You can get frustrated with stuff. And it all stems from selfishness. We need to work towards reconciliation. Not so much resolution, and I will talk about this a little bit later. We need to work towards reconciliation. I think it's important that we vent, not horizontally, but we vent vertically to God. And we need to go to God in these situations more often than not. We need to tell God, God, I'm frustrated, and allow him to speak to us through his word. Let me tell you, today I've got a number of scriptures. I mean, I was really challenged by some of these scriptures that I'm going to share with you today. Really challenged. So I hope they challenge you uh, as well. So, the first thing I want to say this morning is that we need to always respond positively. <laughs> if you're not hungry, you're not angry, you're not lonely or you're not tired, halt. Set those things aside. Try to respond positively. So often in my counseling, and I said a couple of weeks ago that 80%, at least 80% of our counseling is marriage counseling. And almost in every session, I hear one of the spouses say, he or she makes me so mad. Have you heard that? Muffled sounds. He or she makes me so mad. See, the reality is no one can make you mad except you choose to be mad. It's your choice. And the tendency of human nature is to blame somebody else for the way that we are feeling right now. There are two types of people. There's those that are proactive, those that respond positively to situations, and those that react negatively to situations. Stephen, just pass me that bottle of water. This is still water. So in a situation of conflict, shake, rattle, and roll. I can open this. Absolutely nothing happens. Can I drink? If I had a bottle of Coca-Cola, very different responses would take place. Would they? If I shake it, rattle and roll, and I open it, 30 people are going to be sprayed with Coca-Cola. And that's a person who reacts negatively. But a person who responds positively is like that bottle of still water. If I had to take that equation, and I've used this on several occasions, that equation of an event plus a response equals the outcome. So an event takes place. I spill some milk. I drop an egg. I kick my toe against the furniture. It's an event that's taken place. I cannot do anything about that event. It's set in concrete. An event has taken place. What determines the outcome? The outcome is determined by my response to it. 
That's why it's important for us to respond positively in order to get the right outcome. If you're going to respond negatively, the outcome is going to be disastrous. If I'm going to respond positively, the, re the outcome is going to be positive and good. Responsible. Hmm? Those that are in authority, they're responsible. But take the word responsible. It's response-able. That's what responsible is. And so it's absolutely important that we use uh, the right language in a situation. Don't say, you know, my boss is such a jerk. And if it wasn't for him, things would be different. Hmm? Your response to the situation. Your boss is not the cause of all your problems. Thanks a lot. You've ruined my day. Basically, you're saying, I'm not in control of my life. If I had a different uh, family, if I had a different school, if I had a different job, if uh, I had a better wife, or if I had uh, 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 more income in my, in my, in my salary, uh, things would be different. No. You need to respond accordingly. That's reactive language, and it takes the power away from you and gives it to something or somebody else. We, we men, when we're watching TV, love to have that remote in our hands, or easily accessible. If you don't like that program, your wife normally says, what are you doing? I was enjoying that. No, it just doesn't cut the mustard, yeah? We love the remote. Reactive people give the remote to somebody else. Instead of them controlling what's happening in your life, you give that remote to somebody else. And they just push it. Now you made me mad. Okay, now you've done something good, something positive. I'm cool with that. Now you've made me mad again. They've got the remote. You need to take charge of that remote. You've got this victim mentality, victimitis. And it's, 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 <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So the victimitis. Just, I'm the victim here, and I'm always jumping to everyone else's tune. Reactive people are easily offended. They blame others. They get angry that they later regret. They whine. They complain. They wait for things to happen to them. They change only when they have to. So I want to suggest that we move towards responding positively. If out of 100 decisions and choices you make, 20 of those that you are responding positively to, push that through to 30. And then in a couple of days' time, push it up to 40. And slowly but surely, you'll begin to see different things taking place. We can only control one thing. We can't control the stuff that happens to us. We can't control the load shedding as much as we would love to do that. We can't control who wins the Rugby World Cup. We can't control who wins the latest soccer match. We can't control the fact that we were born in a certain place on a certain day to certain parents. We can't control. The only thing that we can control is our response. To be response-able. I love the story of Sidney Harris. Sidney Harris was a newspaper writer, author, he wrote many books, 
And at one point, his articles were being published in 200 newspapers across the United States. And a friend visited him one day, and they went down to the local newspaper stand years ago, and they bought a newspaper. So Sydney paid for it, and the guy who was behind the counter uh, threw the newspaper down on the counter, was very negative in his response. Sydney took the newspaper, got the change, the guy just dropped it on the counter, picked it up and said, thank you very much and you have a good day. And when they were walking away, the friend said to Sydney Harris, tell me, does he always treat you so rudely? And Sydney said, yes, unfortunately he does. And then the friend said, why are you always so polite and friendly to him? Are you polite and friendly? And Sydney said, yes, I am. Why are you so nice to him when he is so unfriendly to you? Because I don't want him to decide how I respond. Hmm? It has been said, he who angers you controls you. I want to just remind us that we're children of God. And we can be tremendously positive about life. God has called us. He has called us out of darkness into light. We are called the light of the world. We are called the salt of the earth. In other words, we are the flavor in the stew. Everything about our Christian lives has made the difference and because of our faith in God. Response able. One of the responses that we so often give is silent treatment. Do any of you do the silent treatment? I'm not talking to you. I mean, I counseled a, a couple years ago, married them, and about a year later they came and they sat with me. And I walked into the office and they had black eyes and bruises. And I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? Now we had a fight. Both of them. I mean, the guy had black eyes. I mean, she was a feisty little thing. She had been a gymnast in her day, and she wasn't going to put up. He was a thin guy, very active though, but he was a thin guy, and she wasn't going to put up with anything. And they got stuck into one another. I'm thinking, why? Why? No, no, he was giving me the silent treatment. For how long? For three days. And I'm thinking, you're in my church, you stupid people. What, what is the matter with you? Just such negative response. You know, they say that silence is golden. But in a situation where you give silent treatment to a married partner, it's, it's, it's yellow. It's not gold. Husband and a wife were having a fight. The husband was giving the wife silent treatment, and she equally responded. But then came the day, a couple of days later, where he had to get up very early for a flight to a business meeting in another town. So he didn't want to be the first one to give up and to speak, to give up this silent treatment. So he decided that you know he was going to write her a letter and say, please wake me up 
at five o'clock and he left the note where she could find it. Well, the next morning he arrived and he woke up at seven o'clock instead of five o'clock. He had missed the flight. And he was just scrambling a little bit and he turned and he saw a, newspaper, a piece of paper that had some writing on it. It's five o'clock, wake up. <laughs> Don't do silent treatment, guys. Next one is start fresh every day. Start fresh every day. End your hostility at night. And at 10 o'clock at night, don't get involved in an intense conversation because you're tired. And it'll just go south. 10 o'clock is the cutoff. If you're arguing at one minute past 10, you need to remind one another, let's, let's talk about this tomorrow. You'll wake up in the morning. You won't be tired. You'll have a fresh night. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll have a totally different perspective. But wake up every morning. Don't keep emotional trading stamps. You know, we, we, we like... Those little sticker books that spar, you know, you go to spar and you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy that pan or that pot or whatever. And you've got a little sticker. And when the stickers are all done, you can take it in and trade it in and you get a discount. Yeah. But we've we, we got these little booklets that are trading stamps. She was late again. He didn't phone and let me know that he wasn't coming home for supper. And I cooked a lovely supper. He went out. He didn't tell me. He doesn't help me. I'm stuck with nappies, and I'm stuck with the children all day long, and he just goes out with business partners after work. <laughs> Trading stamps. Then when that book is full, there's just this one almighty explosion. Kaboom. Don't keep trading stamps. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4, sorry. You got that one? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know, there's a wise man in the Bible whose name was Solomon. I don't know if he was so wise, eh? I really. He had 300 wives. <laughs> and he had 700 concubines. He went off the rails at the end of his life. <laughs> you got a thousand women running around your palace. You're going to go off the rails. <laughs> but Solomon, in his earlier life, said this. A soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. You know, <laughs> I was preaching this years ago when I was a young student and I mentioned this fact of Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines and there was this uh, manager of the board of management that was sitting there, it was an older guy, he just started to laugh out loud. So, so I said to him, what are you laughing at, Harold? So he said, can you imagine all the stockings hanging up in the shower? <laughs> so those were the days when women wore stockings, eh? You need to be responsible in that as well. Start each day fresh. And we need to speak subjectively. Subjectively from the point of view, of, instead of accusatory and saying, you, 
say, I am feeling this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 and verse 7, this is what it says. There's a right time for everything. Time to be quiet and a time to speak up. Sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, sorry. The right time for everything, a time to be quiet and a time to speak up. So we need to speak up and say what we need to say. Don't mealy mouth around the situation. A husband and a wife were sitting having breakfast together. He was sitting reading the newspaper. She was sitting opposite him and he was sipping his coffee. And she said to him, why do you keep schlepping your coffee? What she was saying is, I'm hurt because you're not giving any attention. You are so consumed with your newspaper that you're not sharing this moment with me. Say what you need to say. Be direct. There was a time when Medler, I, I don't do this often, but I left my undies on the floor in the bathroom. So Medler looks at the undies. She looks at me. Are these yours? <laughs> I mean, we have this incredible ability. We are intelligent people. We have this incredible ability over and above every other animal to communicate. Five words is required. Please pick up your underpants. I said, yeah. So? <laughs> Listen. If they're not mine, I've got a few questions of my own. <laughs> Say it directly. There was a woman who had acquired a huge amount of wealth, and she wanted to write a book about her genealogy. And she appointed a well-known author to engage in the assignment but in his research, he discovered that she had a grandfather who had been a murderer, who had been executed at Sing Sing, which is a very well-known prison in America, at Sing Sing Prison. He'd been electrocuted and sentenced to death. She didn't want that published. She said, please just somehow hide that fact. He said, no, I, I have to put it in. So he said, just, just do something. And when the book came out, this is what was read. One of her grandfathers occupied the chair of applied electricity in one of America's best-known institutions. <laughs> he was very much attached to his position and literally died in the harness. <laughs> Next one. Attack the problem and not each other. Attack the problem and not each other. Don't go in for the jugular, guys. A cattle rancher discovered in Wyoming that when the wolves descended onto the plains in winter, the wild horses kind of got together in a circle. They put their heads together, and when the wolves came close, they kicked out. But he discovered that the jackasses, donkey-type individuals, when they got together, they put their backsides together and left their heads exposed and they kicked one another to pieces. So that's what we do. You know, 
when we have a conflict situation, we turn on one another. And I'm saying to you, attack the problem. What is the problem, the issue that's at hand? Don't attack one another. And try to give a solution. Don't come in there just with an attack dog style, but come with a solution as well. And stay on the present. Anything more than three months is just not permissible. Two guys were talking. And I said, you know, every time my wife and I have an argument, she, he get, she gets hysterical. I mean, historical. You mean you, hysterical? No, no, historical. What do you mean? She keeps on bringing up the past. Don't make references to in-laws and relatives. That's not good. You're just like your mother. You are going to have a volcano coming your way. No dramatics. No dramatics. You're not going to win an Oscar by your performance in anger, in tears, or any of that. No reference to the mate's appearance. <laughs> so I was thinking the other day, I mean, Medna's been in fashion. She's been a fashion designer for years and years. She knows fashion. I, mean, I mean, remember the one day I came out and I was dressed, and she said, stop. Look at me. She looked me up and down. It wasn't because I was sexy. She looked me up and down, <laughs> and the response was, no, Snook. I just knew. <laughs> I just knew that I was dressed badly. <laughs> no reference to the mate's appearance. Keep negatives to the minimum. Discover what you're arguing about and stay on that subject and offer solutions with your issues, conflict. When you're wrong, admit it. When you're right, keep quiet. Shut up. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3 to 5. The New Living Translation says this. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We all have blind spots. Yeah. Jesus is saying here, take the little bit of sawdust. Instead of taking the sawdust out of your friend's eye, take that log out of your own eye. See, marriage is a lifelong process of overcoming all those differences. And each of us has an infinite capacity for self-deception. In fact, it's not incompatibility, but it's selfishness and an unwillingness to change. Never say, you always and you never. And don't interrupt one another while you're speaking. Be gracious. Let the person finish what they're saying. But I knew that you were going to say that. No, just be gracious and let the person finish. Always consider your mate's, your spouse's perspective. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 says this. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. 
Don't look out for your own interests, but express interest towards the other person. And then lastly, I want to say, let's concentrate on reconciliation, not resolution. Reconciliation means I'm going to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means I'm going to deal with this issue at hand and we're going to come to some agreement with this issue. But always seek reconciliation. See, companionship is the thing that we should be striving for. Many of us have conflict issues. They're not going to be solved overnight, but it takes time. Hopefully these things, hopefully you've taken down these points. Hopefully you'll be reminded by one another of these points as well. My prayer, my hope, is that we will be successful, that we will become wonderful, wonderful reconcilers in marriage.